You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. My name is Chris. And my name is Stephanie. And in this episode, we are going to be discussing the second collected volume of Orphan Black comics uh, about the Helsinki storyline called Orphan Black Helsinki. So we will be talking in depth about that particular comic book series. So if you haven't read those issues, there could be some spoilers for you ahead. And there's also, of course, potentially some season four spoilers as well, because it's covered in the series in season four, this particular storyline. I would also recommend not reading Helsinki until you've seen season four. Really? I mean... Yes, but I guess it doesn't necessarily matter since it is a prequel, but I feel like there's context. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Okay, so since Orphan Black is such a dense show, we thought it would maybe be best to start off talking about the context that we have for the Helsinki incident going into the comics. So sorry for doing some recapping here. We're going to try and keep it short. So the context for the Helsinki comics comes from both the Orphan Black series as well as the first run of the Orphan Black comics. Helsinki was first mentioned in season three when Ferdinand shows up. He suggests dealing with Clone Club in the same manner he dealt with a previous group of self-aware clones in Helsinki. We learn that several clones and civilians had been killed in a short period of time, and we see through Ferdinand and his associates' actions toward Clone Club in episode 301 that Helsinki clones and their families had likely been targeted and eliminated. In Orphan Black number 5, which I think most people probably think of as the Rachel issue of the first run of comics, that you know each issue had a separate clone on the cover and mostly covered their story. So in that issue... Helsinki is mentioned several times. We see in flashbacks that Rachel encountered another clone named Vera in the same lab on the same day that it exploded and, you know, supposedly killed her parents. Afterward, Rachel resents Vera for surviving the lab explosion while her parents died. And the very end of that issue reveals that Vera also survived the Helsinki incident and wants revenge. In season four of the series, MK is introduced, and with the context from the first run of comics, it's pretty easy to figure out that MK's Vera, MK's storyline, and confrontation with Ferdinand reveal a bit more about what happened in Helsinki. We see a newspaper article in Dutch about a fatal car crash and a picture of MK and another clone named Nikki, and MK called her her friend. And the storyline in these Helsinki comics gives us even more context for what's mentioned in season four, particularly more of MK's background. So now that we've been introduced to MK in the series, it's sort of interesting to me to go back and and see what her past was. Because we'd known that she was in Dyad for some reason, or whatever the, the facility was that had exploded. When she was a kid. Right. And I don't think we ever found out why she was there, did we? I don't think so. I, it, if I recall correctly, Rachel just stumbles upon her in a lab right. somewhere. And Vera's there by herself reading The Wizard of Oz. And she mentioned something about somebody, I believe she refers to him as a him, will be mad for her talking to Rachel. But I don't think they really give us an, Id- an idea of why she was at that facility. Okay. I didn't think so. Because what's interesting is finding out here, you know, as a teenager, she's no longer there. She's 
actually being raised in a house in what seems like a relatively normal situation by her uncle, I think they they say he's her uncle, Maddie. Yeah, she calls him Uncle Maddie, but then she also tells Nikki that he's her legal guardian. So I was a little unclear as to whether she, until she kind of discovered he was being shady, if she assumed he was her uncle or if that was like a term of endearment because he was taking care of her. Yeah. Though he he is named in there as Maddie Swominen, and she's mm-hmm. Vera Swominen, so I don't know. Yeah. So it's possible he is really her uncle. I just was a little unclear on that fact, given how shifty we've seen the clone project can be about monitors and who they actually are. Right. No, I mean, it's completely fair, and it's entirely possible that she's maybe adopted by him also, because... I mean, we don't know why she was in the facility at the previous issue. Like, I don't know. I have I have further questions, but... Yeah, that was one of my big ones was she seemed to at least... I don't know. Again, maybe she refers to him as her legal guardian to Nikki later on because she realized he was up to no good. Or I don't know if this is her concept of him from the beginning. She's always known he was her legal guardian rather than necessarily family. Eh a little unclear. So I'm kind of curious, like, why she wasn't placed with people who she thought of as parents. I, I mean, I suppose that could be something intentional that the clone project did with this particular clone. Uh, but I thought that was interesting that she seemed to have be living with her, you know, uncle rather than with a uh, more traditional family, like we've seen for the other clones. I'm just saying, too, like, it's entirely possible that she was as a child, and then something happened to them. And that's how she ended up in the facility in issue five. Right, yeah, exactly. And then they had to find another place for her, so there are many possibilities, is my point. <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah, like, <laughs> the comics revealed a little bit more about MK, but also leads to a lot more questions, which tends to be Orphan Black's thing. <laughs> exactly. But it's like, it's mostly only more questions if it's something that you're really just thinking too much about. <laughs> Okay, that's fair. Because <laughs> I'm thinking as we're talking about this, like, this is probably more discussion than this really warrants. Because <laughs> now we're just speculating about stuff that they didn't say. <laughs> you know something they did say, Chris? They did say that MK was homeschooled. And that's part of the reason why she was a good target for this shady Dr. Dmitry Volkov and his human test subject trial thing that he's doing that is becomes the main plot point of this issue so she was homeschooled which then i didn't do this on purpose this is me being a jerk a picky jerk face but like i went back to orphan black number five to remind myself of the context we got for vera slash mk in that issue and they actually say in one of the scenes that oh the cleaners who were there to cover up the Helsinki incident, they're at Vera's school, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, that's not Vera's school. She didn't go to school. That was Nikki's school. <laughs> so there was a little bit of a continuity blip, but it's it's not a huge one. But still. <laughs> it was written down right there, guys. Come on. <laughs> yeah. They're usually really good about that stuff, but yeah. except for timeline they are terrible about the timeline well because yeah i did speaking of timeline i was getting myself really confused because these issues take place mainly in 2001 and the clones are supposed to be about 17 which is correct because we've seen birth certificates saying that most of them were born in like 1984 so that works but then i'm thinking of you know it's 2017 now and so does that mean that the clones are spe- – how old are the clones supposed to be now? And then I realized, oh, yeah, they have a bit of a fudge timeline because the way that the first few seasons 
are supposed to have actually gone year-wise. It's actually still back in like 2015 and in, in, in Orphan Black timeline or something like that. I don't think it's even 2015, Stephanie. I know, it's like 2014. I was giving them a, a little bit of a leeway. But anyhow. But they've had four separate winters. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is always winter there. Uh, another thing that we learned, not necessarily learned, but I think the on the series they hinted that MK was uh, neural atypical, and in the comic she does tell Nikki that she has a diagnosis of having Asperger's. Yep. And we see her taking medication for that. Yes, Risperdal, which I did actually look up. What did you learn, Chris? I learned that it's actually used to, to treat, I think, a few different things, mm-hmm. but uh, it, it's... Mostly used to sort of, like, calm people down. Right. And that's what she says to to Nikki, that that's what they help her with, is to be calmer. But the way they presented the pills initially, it almost made it seem like they were going to have MK have some sort of drug abuse problem the way that Beth and Allison are presented later on. But then they made it more clear, like, oh, she takes those because of Asperger's. But I don't know. I It was a little bit of a of a weird way they first presented her relationship to her pills. But I guess it's mainly mainly trying to establish that she has a love-hate relationship with taking her pills, maybe? Well, see, I don't know. Because Allison's prescriptions, or her medications, at least some of them probably were actually prescribed to her. Right. But then she abuses the medication. (laughs) So I don't know. I I don't know enough context around MK and her, her pill usage. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I don't recall seeing her take them on the series. Do you? I thought we did see them on the series. Okay. But I don't remember them being sort of emphasized in, or suggested that she was abusing them in some way. So no, I, I don't think they forefronted it like they did with Allison or anything. Yeah. But moving moving away from background on MK and more into the actual storyline of Helsinki... We see her becoming partially self-aware through discovering this camera in her bedroom, and she gets some names to then go pursue, and and that's what leads her into – it's like she's kind of following – well, I can't really compare it to anything, but, you know, it's the same sort of, sort of series of events we see Sarah go through, right, when she's at the beginning of the series, where she's finding more people who look like her, and eventually we get to, like, this clone club support group that is evocative of the series, right? Right. There's a lot of this that actually reminds me very much of the beginning of the series, which I'm sure is intentional, because that's how they set up the Helsinki situation is like, oh, this has happened before. So I do kind of like that they set up all those parallels. But yes, we've got the clone support group, which I guess they didn't necessarily know they were clones, but decided that that was probably the most likely thing, just because otherwise, dude, that's weird. (laughs) (laughs) But we had uh, Katya, who we we know from season one. I was super happy that she was included in the clone support group, the European clones. Like, because this kind of gives context to how Katya knew what she did, right? Exactly. Yeah. So like, hey, there were two survivors, actually, from the original Helsinki situation. Right. So yeah, there was Katya. There's Anya, who we actually see die in this series before the others and from a different cause than the others. Mm-hmm. Which we'll get to later. <laughs> and then uh, Sophia and the twins, Faye and Famke, and Justina. Justina evoked a bit of, of Sarah for me, the way that they presented her. 
Yeah, I can see that. And uh, Faye and Famke kind of had the Allison role where they were, you know, they had their life and they they really didn't kind of want to deal with this. And uh, I, I, I quite liked the twins, actually, in their matching tracksuits. Also reminiscent of Allison. Exactly. It, w- it was kind of fun to see Sophia there, who had a different body type than we've seen all the other clones have. Obviously, that's easier to do in comic books than it is to do with a live actor. So I kind of like that we had, oh, look, there's a chubby one. Yay. <laughs> right? I think we talked about that before. It's like, oh, good. Now that they're doing illustrations, maybe they can introduce some new clones that maybe look a little less like Tatiana Maslany. Right. So I think, uh, was it Justina looked sort of a little bit taller and maybe a little thinner? Yeah, she looked a bit more, yeah, thinner is a good word. She kind of looked a little bit more uh, toned, I guess. I don't know, muscular, but maybe just because she was thinner as well. But yeah, I thought so too. She had a different kind of body shape than the other clones have had on the show. Not that Tatiana Maslany is not toned. That is not me saying that. Because <laughs> <laughs> lady has impressive arms. I'll just say that. <laughs> it's true. But I thought it was interesting, the revelation in the clone support group that Anya was really the one who had initially started to find them and sort of collect them into this group because of these memories that she had of being in a lab somewhere and hearing people's names. And, you know, these memories kept surfacing for her. And that's how she was able to find the other clothes. Because at first when I went, they said like, oh, Anya dreamt my name and that's how she found me. At first I thought they were maybe getting at, she has Kira's abilities or something like that. (laughs) But I'm wondering if that reference to she realized they were memories was maybe alluding to the fact that like she was also in that same lab where we maybe saw Vera back in in Orphan Black number five where Rachel encountered her. Mm -hmm. I also had that same thought about is there something a little psychic going on again calling back to kira or perhaps in some sense helena's thing to to sarah she's like i i dreamt we were friends right <laughs> that, whole, that whole thing yeah at the same time it also calls to mind in season one when we see we see sarah having that weird dream vision thing with the doctors and the electrodes right Because that was, I forget which one it was, but one of the people at the clone support group said, like, this was my first clue. I found this, you know, DNA swab under my bed. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I think something that the this Helsinki storyline really changed my perspective on was the fact that that lab where we first saw Vera back in Orphan Black number five, where she encountered Rachel, that apparently is not the same place she met Nikki. Because when we were introduced to MK on the series, and like she knew her clone number and, and things like that, I guess in my head, I just assumed that that was where she first encountered Nikki, was in that same place where, or maybe right after she was she was burned and was recovering at Dyad, that maybe that was where she and Nikki had known each other. Uh, but this story reveals a completely different way that they met. Yeah, I guess I didn't really necessarily connect the two. Mm-hmm. Just because it seems like more time had passed. Right. Because they were clearly teenagers or so in the picture, and it seemed like they were kids at that lab. But at the same time, we kind of learned from Jade's story that it seemed like she had been at 
Dimitri Volkov's lab for quite some time. So I, I guess in my head, it was something maybe like that, where they had young clones all gathered together in a lab, and they were there for an extended period of time for mm, some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, because they do have Nikki's number on that photo. So, yeah, not unreasonable to think that. Probably just because I didn't have the context of the comic before I saw the series, but because of that, the way that they sort of show Nikki and MK meeting in in the Helsinki storyline, it didn't quite jibe for me but i i honestly think like if i if i try hard enough because i have i have a powerful mind chris i can (laughs) i can like rationalize some of the stuff that didn't quite work for me but i think from that photograph where they had both of their clone numbers on there you know that kind of made it seem to me like they knew each other by those numbers kind of the way that Mm -hmm. jade and her friend effie talked about knowing each other by those numbers but it doesn't seem like at least Nikki had any concept for what her clone number was yeah. before she died. I don't know. <laughs> well, I think given who MK is as a person, I could see her going back and like putting those numbers on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As she's kind of like going through the process of understanding where she came from and what happened to her. And because, you know, she talk, she tells Ferdinand in, in the series when he, when he calls her Vera, she says, that's not my name anymore. So clearly she's, you know, she's gone through a lot since we see from where we see her in Helsinki to where we see her on Orphan Black, the series. So I could see that as maybe part of her journey of re-understanding who she is as a person. Part of that was like visualizing them as those numbers and what that meant. Right. I guess part of the thing that, for me was hardest to sort of rationalize between what I thought from the series and what we saw reading the comic. It's like they did not know each other that well or that long. Right. Yeah. I I thought they would have known each other for longer too. So that was, that was a bit of a surprise for me. Yeah. But I think given MK's personality and Oh, I totally get it. It's just not what I was expecting. Yeah, exactly. But I think we also, you know, we see that MK both had trouble connecting with people. So if she just had somebody call her a friend, that would have been a huge deal for her. Mm-hmm. And then we also see that since Nikki died, MK's continued talking to her and having a relationship with her. So yeah, I, I, I too was surprised how brief of a time they knew each other. But sort of when I started thinking about it and who MK is, like, okay, I, that still can kind of make sense to me. Right. So like... Dmitry Volkov's the worst, right? (laughs) I don't know how to feel about him. I mean, yes, he is terrible. But, okay, so could you tell tell me, like, what was your context for, what did you understand his purpose to be in his lab? Like, what was he doing? I don't even know, Stephanie. Yeah? (laughs) It just didn't seem good, because, like, (laughs) human testing. Right, right. But the context that we get from Jade is that he seemed to be purposefully making the test subjects sick because Jade says that she wasn't sick when she got there, but he he was giving her all these treatments and she got, her health got worse and she had cancer potentially. So what do we think was his purpose in doing this research? Did you get a sense of what, what was your sense of why he was doing what he was doing? Well, the thing I kept wondering is, was he working on, what we know now the clone disease to be. Right. 
was it just that she wasn't showing signs of being sick and then she did start showing signs of being sick while she was there and he was trying to figure out what it was and how to fix it or i mean i don't know there are so many questions right because the the terminology that he uses on the phone when he's talking about an adenovirus and viral vectors those are similar things that we've heard Kasima talking about as she and Scott and Delphine were researching how to cure the prion disease. I kind of wondered if he was inducing the disease in the in the test subjects in order to be able to work on a cure. Yeah, could be. Or was he doing what Project Caster was trying to do and figure out how to weaponize this? Mm. I'm not saying he was, but right. Who knows? I feel like the only hint we have as to what his ultimate goal might have been is is maybe in that scene toward the end of the book between Marion Bowles and Susan Duncan, where they're looking at a baby Charlotte and, you know, because she was the finally a success after so many attempts at, at trying to produce a new line of Lita clones. She was the only one that they succeeded in in creating. If his if Dr. Volkov's research was related to to that, like trying to potentially isolate problems that they knew were in the original Lita line to create new clones, or if, if his, his project was just trying to recreate, you know, that data that they lost about how they initially produced the Lita clones. So mm-hmm. that, that's the only thing I can, I can kind of think of. But you said there was, there was reference in here to him being part of the Cold River project, right? Yes. They said it a couple of times that that was where he had worked prior to his working on for the Neolution project was for Cold River, which is a, do you want to remind folks of the context of Cold River in case they've forgotten? I mean, I think Helena summed it up pretty well when she described it as the place of screams. I don't, I don't know that there's much more you need to know than that. (laughs) And this was something that was revealed back in uh, season two, actually, I believe the episodes in 206. It's the, the road trip episode where Sarah and Helena are following Maggie Chen's trail, and they end up someplace where they they learned about the Cold River Project, which had to do with like gen- genetic testing. The weird church with all the records. Okay, thank you. I was like, did they go to a church? That doesn't seem right, but they did, right? <laughs> they did, yeah. Okay, <laughs> a church well, that Sarah did, and then Helena went to a bar. <laughs> yeah. So that's where we first heard about the Cold River Project, and we don't really get much more context for it from the Helsinki comics, but they do reference it in the fact that. Perhaps people who worked for Neolution, people worked for Dyad, were also involved in in that initial project as well. Right. Which is not surprising. No, not at all. I also thought that in in light of what we see in season four, the deformed fetuses that we see in the bottles all in Dr. Volkov's lab, I, I felt like they were maybe intentionally evoking the brightborn babies that we see in season four. Right. But see, every time I see that, I always think of the X-Files. There's a whole thing in like season nine? No, season eight of the X-Files. Never mind. It was, it was horrifying. <laughs> I'm was sure. my point. I'm sure. <laughs> and, and speaking of things in the Dr. Volkov storyline that kind of evoked images from the series, I also thought where we see Effie in the, the body bag, it recalled Jennifer back in, in season two for me. Oh, man. I know. This was a tough read, guys. (laughs) Yeah, sorry for taking so long to get to it, but that's kind of why. Yeah. Yeah. At least for me. Mm -hmm. 
I realized that I was kind of putting off reading this because of what they had, because of how they had framed it in the series. It was like, oh, this is not going to be fun. Yeah, it's hard to kind of anticipate. <laughs> like, oh, yay, a bunch of people are going to die. I don't know. Maybe that's some people's thing, but but not not always me. It's hard to, like, make myself read something when I know there's going to be a really dark ending. Mm-hmm. But definitely, I felt like there was this sense of, you know, the clones confronting images of themselves and their own mortality and, and things like that. It was, it was not... Dr. Volkov was bad. He was the worst. <laughs> See? I'm 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 going back to your initial assessment. Yes, you were correct. Thank you. This week on our multi-fandom podcast, Finalysis, Chris and I discussed episode 219 of Supergirl, which is entitled Alex. Our weekly finalysis episodes at the moment are not typical episode discussions. They are silly talk about primarily Lena Luthor and how she and Kara are clearly in love, even though the show has yet to admit it. So if you're a fan of Lena Luthor and Lena and Kara, you might want to check out these weekly episodes that we're doing. You can listen to the episode on our website, askgenretv.com, or search for Ask Genre TV wherever you download podcasts. Now back to Orphan Black. So we talked about Dr. Volkov, and he's a big piece of the, the storyline in Helsinki, but we also have this other element that we knew was going to be there from the beginning, the fact that this group of clones are becoming self-aware, and because of that, Dyad targets them for elimination. And of course, Rachel is all just deep in that business, and is so terrifying and mean, and makes me so uncomfortable. Speaking of making uncomfortable... um. I have a problem with these issues. Yes. Because of the way that Rachel is depicted in them. Because as we mentioned earlier, they are at most, at most, they're supposed to be 17. Mm-hmm. And Rachel is depicted so highly sexualized in this. I am just, I am so deeply uncomfortable with it. Yeah, the artist who did issues like two through five i i have some issues with how he draws some of the clones sometimes if there's a bum involved in the drawing i feel like he went a little crazy and and i I definitely agree the way that rachel is drawn in these issues is very disturbing how sexualized she is for a 17 year old character i mean there is there is one panel because i mean it's one thing to know that it's happening right like you Mm -hmm. can suggest it without drawing it this way yeah i agree because we know that rachel and ferdinand have a history and it's also a little weird because i don't think he's that young at this point no well and that's what is also something that troubled me was that i i feel like even though i think generally ferdinand is is portrayed as a bad guy in this series of of store of comics i don't think they're trying to make him heroic or anything like that i do feel like he's presented as being a bit of a patsy to rachel's seduction and he is not that young i i feel like the the comic should hold him a bit more accountable for developing the sexual relationship with a teenager when he's clearly not 17 himself right like i don't think he he's you know because i want to say james frayne the actor who plays him is in his 40s or so so, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so he's probably a good 10 years older 
than Rachel is, given how they are, they are portrayed on the series. So I agree. I was made very uncomfortable by those scenes where we see them engaging in BDSM together. Not the BDSM itself, fine, whatever, safe, sane, consensual, all that business. Just the fact that there was she was so young and being presented in such a sexualized way. I mean, there is a panel that is... Rachel is in the front of the panel, or rather, Rachel's bum is in the front of the panel in in lingerie, and it's just, like, the whole thing, I'm like, why, artist? She is supposed to be 17. This is just, uh, no. Yeah. Don't do it. No. Yeah, the artist had a thing with bums. Her, Rachel's was not the only bum that he made overly sexualized and kind of made me go, ugh, they're 17, stop it. But, like, especially in the overly sexualized situation already. Yeah. I'm just kind of like, this is this is way too much. I mean, it's too much anyway. Because, again, they're 17. Stop it! <laughs> they are tiny babies. You leave them alone. I did, however, I liked how the storyline incorporated Rachel's switched from uh, being a brunette to being a blonde in this storyline. Right. I think we'd had some questions about that before. Sort of idly wondering what it was that prompted Rachel's switch. Like, I think we all kind of figured that it was a, a matter of differentiating herself, but I like that we actually have proper context now. Mm-hmm. Because it didn't really occur to me that much before when I was reading Orph Black Number 5 and we were seeing some flashbacks around the Helsinki situation. I, I don't know that I particularly made note of the fact that she was a brunette in those scenes, whereas, you know, clearly she's a blonde now in, in the current timeline. But I liked how they made a really specific reference as to, okay, here's part of what caused her to make that switch. Like, here's the moment where she felt like that was a, a beneficial thing for her to do to separate herself from the other clones. Mm -hmm. So how the Helsinki operation plays out I was struck by it feeling a little bit more James Bondy than I <laughs> had imagined it. I don't know why, but it just felt like suddenly there was there were spies everywhere following clones and not just having more dedicated monitors watching the clones. Uh, but I guess it was mainly in regards to Justina. It felt like there was these random people just suddenly keeping their eye on Justina. But maybe it was because she was a runaway and therefore it was more difficult for her to have a permanent monitor. See, I guess I didn't even have this thought so much because we saw Sarah running from them at the beginning of what season three, right? Mm -hmm. And we saw a similar situation there where there was like a team of operatives who were after her. <laughs> so like, I'm just I'm not. Well, I guess that's a good point. I, perhaps this is not that was not a normal kind of monitoring situation for the clones. But since Dyad or whomever was aware that they were becoming self-aware, there were more right. people focused in on them at the moment. Yep. But I, I liked Justina switching to the blonde wig and putting on clothing and sneaking out of the bathroom to escape her tail. I, I enjoyed that moment quite a bit. She like full on pulled an alias. She did. <laughs> it was great. And then we also had in the the last moments of the storyline, we had these monitors who we kind of thought were shifty all along, i.e. Uncle Maddie, who maybe turned out to have more benevolent motivations than we anticipated, as well as the kind of reveal of um, 
oh, what's his name? The clodhead boyfriend. I forget what <laughs> what MK calls him, mutton-headed boyfriend. She calls him something really great, <laughs> like mutton brain, maybe? I can't remember. But when they revealed him to kind of be a Donnie, I think, where he was recruited and didn't quite know what was going on, but, you know, fell in love with Nikki and wanted to help her. Right. Which is something we've seen also with our clones. So another nice parallel, if you will. But I'm kind of curious who Uncle Maddie was supposed to have been talking to at the door. Because we see, M- uh, me, uh, I don't know whether to call her MK or Vera, but you know who I'm talking about. We see MK spying on him as he's talking to somebody at the front door. And I think clearly we're supposed to think that it's somebody related to the clone project. Uh, but I never got a, a sense of who he was supposed to be necessarily. I don't know. I feel like I need to go back and reread some of this, which I probably will before season five starts. An important element to the self-aware clone club storyline was the fact that they decided their best defense was to go for public awareness and use the press to inform people of their situation. And I found that interesting because that is a tactic that our clone club has never pursued. They've always been very secretive and trying to keep their secret and hide that they're clones from people with the exception of recently Rachel used the press against Evie Cho in regards to Brightborn, but that was a separate entity rather than the clone project in its entirety. However, I suppose Allison and Beth and Kasima might have initially been warned off trying to use the press as a way to protect themselves, because Katya was around, it seems, for this Helsinki episode. And so maybe maybe she knew the, the rough details, at least, of what had happened and was able to relate to them. No, 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 this is a bad idea that we do not want to attract attention. But the fact that their scheduled press conference was overshadowed by 9-11, I think the writers very intentionally want us to wonder a bit, had that major event not happened could the the press conference and, and gaining public awareness of the fact that they were clones, or at least that something strange was going on, could that have saved the Helsinki clones? Or would they have been targeted and eliminated by Ferdinand and his his associates either way? Mm-hmm. There was a moment that was interesting to me that I just wanted to bring up, because I, I kind of wish there had been more follow through on it was when MK walks in on Nikki and her friend Suvi having a bit of a thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> and there was actually a really great panel in that sequence where Suvi is running out of the room in embarrassment and Nikki has this really, I don't know how to describe it quite, but a really like grim look on her face. And it just felt that was a really well-drawn moment to me. I felt like they captured her emotion in that moment, like an understandable emotion in that moment really well. Mm -hmm. But I wish they had gotten back to that in some way, though the story didn't really allow for it. Yeah, I'm trying to remember, did we even see that friend again after that? Yes, we did. She she popped up later on because she was... Okay. She was touting some conspiracies. Like, MK was wondering if she might actually be somebody monitoring them for... Oh, that's right. Mm Mm-hmm. But I just want to bring that up because I I, I thought that was a well-captured moment, and I I wish we had maybe gotten back to that a little bit. They do have a little bit of a conversation about it later where Nikki asks MK not to say anything just because she's confused about it. But I I don't know. I guess they were tipping their hat to the the, the queerness that seems to follow a lot of the clones around. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. Well, because I remember early on, there were a lot of questions. It's like, well, okay, there's Cosima, but but what about the others? Because they'd never really specified for most of them. So. Right. And then we see in season four, when Sarah goes on her bender after Kendall Malone was killed, she has a, an encounter with another woman. And there's Tony, of course. But yeah, not just Cosima anymore. Not just Cosima anymore. The rainbow is spreading. I don't know why I felt like I needed to say that, but I did. <laughs> the rainbow is spreading. <laughs> Orphan Black, the rainbow is spreading. <laughs> it's not quite as creepy a catchphrase as some of, the, some of the ones that they've used for previous seasons, but it could work, I think. <laughs> <laughs> not quite as creepy, she says. Okay, then. Shall we talk about the cameos? The Clone Club cameos? I felt so dumb, but I did not see Helena coming. I think that's how Helena likes it. I know, I was going to say, as is Helena's way. But at the same time, you're kind of like, hmm, suspicious circumstances that are leading to someone's death, probably. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I think for me, because I knew that the clones were being targeted by Ferdinand... I wasn't sure at first if she had been shot by somebody involved with Dyad, which was probably the, the point. Mm -hmm. But then when Helena sneaks in, I was like, oh, of course it was Helena. It was a sharp sniper rifle at a long distance. Of course it was Helena. Yep. Mm, I felt so stupid. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, you got me. I had a strange reaction, though, because like, oh, Helena. They're like, oh, Helena. <laughs> <laughs> When you saw her, did your brain go, <laughs> I I did mentally make the screech in my head, yes. Good. So Helena, we got to see a couple of times. I, Sarah also had a cameo, which was a little more subtle, because I- I mean, I, Sarah's more subtle than Helena. <laughs> true. <laughs> a, a Mack truck is more subtle than Helena. Uh, <laughs> Not if she doesn't want you to see her coming. <laughs> Fair point. But Nikki is talking to MK, to Vera, about why she was sort of willing to believe her more crazy sounding story, because she has this memory of being a child at a park and seeing a girl who looked exactly like her. And I'm pretty sure that girl she saw in the park was supposed to be Sarah, right? Yes, because we do see Mrs. S and Felix there also. Mm-hmm. Because for a second, you're kind of like, wait, is this? And then, oh, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once I got a good look at Felix, I was like, yes, that's totally supposed to be Felix. That's Sarah. Yes. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Do you regularly talk to your comics? Yes. Okay. Stop it. <laughs> what? I was just wondering. I don't think there were any other Clone Club cameos. Did you catch anybody else like Allison or Cosima? No. But if anybody caught any of the others, let us know. Yeah. But those two make the most sense to make cameos because they were in Europe, right? Right. Whereas, exactly. Yeah, Kasima and, and Allison were in North America, so it'd be less likely for them to randomly make an appearance in the storyline. Unless they were on vacation or something. Right. So I guess to conclude... How would you how would you rate your experience of Helsinki? We were both <laughs> we were both like avoiding reading it because we knew it had such a tragic ending, but how did how did you find the the actual story and the information that was revealed? Did you more or less enjoy it? I think it was well done. I mean, enjoy is not the right word probably, but I, I did think it was I did think it was good. I thought it was 
an interesting read, something something worth reading for the backstory. Yeah, and I thought this was actually a really good piece of the story to explore, since they really hadn't given us much context in the show for it prior to starting to write it in the comics. It gave them some some leeway. They didn't have to. You know, it was new information. It wasn't just a retread of things we'd already seen. Right. And I think after season four, you and I were both like, we want more MK. So so here she is. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping How about we'll, you? I'm hoping we'll get more MK in season five, too. Yeah, I, I thought it was, like, I'm glad I read it. Like you said, I can't say I really enjoyed it because there's some really disturbing stuff in there. And not as much, because, like, there's disturbing stuff in Orphan Black, the series, too, but there are, like, moments of joy and lightness and, and things. There was less of that <laughs> in Helsinki. So it was more, it was darker than, I think, watching the series as a whole has been. But mm-hmm. I, I thought the the information that we got was interesting, you know, and I'm glad that they touched back on some stuff that was mentioned previously and and kind of explored that some more. So. Yeah, I, I thought it was. I thought it was pretty well done. Questionable art aside, I'm so mad. I just comment Picardus, be conscientious of how old the characters are that you're drawing. Just please, please. And I mean, I've heard stories that are worse than this with characters that were younger and made to look older. But I still, seventeen's too young. Protect the tiny babies. <laughs> So we should probably mention the current Orphan Black comic run, which is called Deviations. The current storyline is about what if Beth had lived. I have not yet read any of it, though I do have the first two issues that are already out. Yeah, so this is a little bit different from the previous ones, because the previous comics were supposed to be in canon, you know, fit with the storyline of what we see in the show, though, you know... There were some stuff that didn't quite, anyhow. (laughs) But this current comic book run is not, obviously, supposed to be canon, hence why it's called Deviations. It's exploring a different scenario than what the show did. So I have read the first issue. I have the second issue, but I haven't read it yet. I like what I'm seeing so far. There is a little bit of repeatiness where, you know, because the idea is that when... Sarah encounters Beth at the train station. Beth doesn't kill herself. Beth survives. So it's it's so far what's happening is like we're seeing some of the situations that happened with Sarah before are happening with Beth instead because she didn't die. And we're seeing some of the scenarios with Sarah play out differently. Like she does some of the same things, but they play out differently because Beth survived. So there's a little bit of repeated content from the series, but it it's deviated enough that it doesn't feel boring for me. Good. But it's going to be, it looks like it's going to be a four issue run. It's concluding in June. So we'll, we'll most likely discuss the, the that particular story run after season five has concluded because season five is going to premiere in June. We have to wait all yes, the way until is. June. Gosh darn it. (laughs) I know. Only a little bit longer. If you have any thoughts about the Orphan Black comic series Helsinki, feel free to send that to us. You can email us at feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com. You can find us on Tumblr at tatianaiseveryonepodcast. You can find us on Twitter at tiepodcast. You can send us a voice message by either calling us on our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223, or recording a voicemail on your smartphone and emailing it to us. 
Tatiana is Everyone is part of the Ask Genre TV family of podcasts. To find our other podcasts about Lost Girl and Killjoys and our multi-fandom podcast on which we're currently covering Supergirl, go to askgenretv.com. And in this episode, the tiny babies were very fiercely protected by Tatiana Maslany. Thanks for listening. <laughs>